0: Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We ask that you be, would be with us as we go through this uh, uh, book on uh, meditation. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to better understand what it means to meditate on the things of God and to apply those to our heart. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, just, as, just as sort of an, an opening, maybe an introduction to this that I actually hadn't planned on doing until this morning, but I like to read a lot of books. So if you uh, ever see my lounge chair, I have like a stack of books. My wife has cut it back a little bit for me so I don't have as many books because the way I read is I don't read one book at a time. I read a little bit of this book, then I go to the next book, And then maybe just in in life, you know, in general, you have things that are of interest to you, I'll I'll focus more on one book and go down that trail for a while. So I have all these books that I'm simultaneously reading, but I picked up a book this week on uh, the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor during during World War II and after, I mean before World War II and during World War II, and actually he was... uh, hung by the Nazis because of his opposition to Hitler and the Third Reich. But anyway, all I wanted to say that and how it applies to what we're uh, going to do today is that Bonhoeffer, even as a child, always felt the call to be a theologian. That had been impressed upon his heart. So, it came out one day he was in school, the teacher asked the students what they wanted to be and Bonhoeffer told the teacher that he wanted to be a theologian. And so uh, that evening when he was at home at the dinner table, his sister, who was his twin, she told the family that Dietrich had said that day that he wanted to be a great theologian. And so Dietrich's father replied by saying, I never knew you were interested in theology, Dietrich's father said to him. and Then Dietrich replied, I wish I hadn't said it. Dietrich said meekly. Everybody laughed. My grandfather was a great theologian, said Paula. That was Dietrich's wife. Yes, but your grandfather lived during a different time in history, replied husband Karl Bonhoeffer. People respected religion then, and even the intellectuals took it seriously. I'm afraid that most people would find it to be irrelevant today, that being religion. Amen, Karl Friedrich said loudly, and he and Klaus lapped together. And then Dietrich Bonhoeffer replied, but if I'm good at it, can I make it relevant? Dietrich shot back. So can he not make religion or the Bible relevant to man? And so as we endeavor this study here of uh, Battle Plan for the Mind, meditation, I would submit to you, is the for lack of a better word, I would say the glue that takes the written words of God in meditating upon them and making it applicable or relevant to our lives. You know, remember the book by Francis Schaeffer, How Should We Then Live? Okay, so so from the, the quote from Bonhoeffer there, well, I hope I can make it relevant. Well, we know that God through the power of the Holy Spirit is the one who does that, but that is what we hope to and endeavor to do today, to see how the Word of God through meditation becomes relevant in our lives. So as the book starts off, you know, it uses an example of, and I thought this was a good start, if uh, you were invited over to someone's house who you knew was a master chef, uh, and, and uh, they were very good at cooking, like some of the older members here will remember Our previous pastor, Charles Bradley, he was a culinary chef, so he always had very high regards when he cooked. Uh, But being invited over to someone's house, and then your your expectation is to enjoy this wonderful meal made by this excellent chef, and then right at the last minute before the meal is served, you receive a call from your boss, and you know that When he said, I need you at the the office or I need you at the factory, that you have to leave. So you have all this anticipation. You can see, smell, but you never taste the good food. So it says here that's how we should view meditation. You know, using that example, you saw the food and you smelled it, but you never chewed it, digested, or benefited from it. So if we read the Bible without meditating upon God's Word, then we get some of the benefit, but not all the benefit, because meditation is what takes that Word and through the Holy Spirit and wings it deep into our hearts. It says here, all all over the world, people go to hear the preaching of the Word on the Lord's Day. Those who are serious about spiritual growth spend time regularly reading the Bible. However, though they hear and read the Word, too often, they do not chew it or digest it. Before their time in the Word is done, the world is calling. In other words, the affairs of the world. They're, they uh, captivate what we're doing. And as a result, they can perhaps say something about the, what the Word says, but they have neither enjoyed the Word and the power of the Spirit nor incorporated it deeply into their lives. They have not meditated. And then it says, in contrast, there are some, some Christians, huh sorry about that, my ear's bleeding, I don't know why, I, I looked at my hand, I said, what have I done? I didn't cut myself with a knife. Uh, on the other hand, there are Christians who bloom where they are planted. That means whatever life gives them, oh, thank you, thank you very much. Well, that's not a bad cut. I've heard the ear is one of the worst things to bleed, that people have actually bled to death when their ears get... So, anyway. um, But on the other hand, Christians who um, have had all kinds of trials, tribulations in their lives, as the world would say, you know, they got lemons, they turn that lemon and they make lemonade out of it. Uh, But it's not just because they said, of my own power, I'm going to pull up, my boots by my bootstraps, and I'm going to make this work. So the question asked is, what is the secret? How have they learned to draw from the wells of salvation? How have they learned to meditate? So we start off um, with the question, what is meditation? Does anybody want to attempt to answer that? Okay. Okay. And how do you do it? And what are the practical ways to get started if you're not done or haven't done it for a long time? Well, the author says, read the book. I could say that too, but I'm not going to say that. But, but meditation, as we just uh, described in our example, is the taking of God's Word and reading it and through the power of the Holy Spirit, asking God to take that Word and make it relevant in our lives, so that we see the world in which we live through the eyes of Scripture. Uh, and, and you know, to various levels, people do that, but I find one of the things in Christendom today, and this is my own thought here, is that uh, we sort of have, if you look at Christianity and Christendom as a whole amongst churches, people have certain areas where they very much have internalized the word of god but in other areas they don't realize it but they've taken on humanism and given it a christian a christian flavor and so they have this convoluted type of understanding of the world but so that's why it's so important for us to meditate on all of scripture and i tell my story that as a boy growing up i grew up more in a evangelical home where focus was the New Testament, and I realized how much I missed by not having the Old Testament. So those of you that know me, you know, I, I I love the Old Testament, you know. I I love the whole Bible, but the Old Testament is especially uh, real to me because I felt like I was deprived for so long from that. So in, in the book, you'll see that in the first chapter, it's been broken up into like seven 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 different areas regarding different aspects of meditation Uh, the first part really is they name the first uh, chapter what is the importance of recovering the joyful habit of meditation why is it important so they start out by asking the question what has gone wrong with modern christianity And the author submits that when he's brought up what he thinks is the issue, no one has ever disagreed with his charge that modern Christianity has really evolved into a superficial religion. In other words, superficial, that it, it really is something we do out of habit, but it really doesn't mean anything or cause us to change our behavior. So in the comment here, he says, generally speaking, that when he brings up that comment, no one disagrees, but... There's really only two answers that most people give. The one answer is they would concede that our faith, our Christianity today is very anemic, it's very shallow, it's very superficial. And that's because we need to construct our churches to be more user friendly in their worship, shallower in their preaching, you know, so we preach to the lower uh, uh, levels, not. What the Word of God says, we try and dumb down the the Word of God, and uh, we have a very casual view of church commitment and our vows, which I think you know is very very evident in the life of the church today. Um, I I I would submit or grant to you that I've had a very low view of commitment to the church over the years, uh, especially in my earlier time because of the fact that I thought joining a church was sort of like joining a club you know I joined the club because I wanted to be a part of it and when I didn't like the club anymore I quit and and uh, that's really not a covenant so he, he outlines that 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 is one answer most people would submit the second thing he the second view, which I think is the correct and the biblical view, uh, which is in Jeremiah six sixteen, which says, "Thus saith the Lord: Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old path. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls." But they said, "We will not. We will not walk therein." So. The latter answer to that question is what's wrong with the church today is advocating for the church's return to a true biblical spirituality Uh, where a serious focus on God's word uh, to practice in one's own experience. In other words, what would you call that if you take God's word and you apply it to your life and you live it? That would be your what? What would you call that? Anybody want to guess? Would you call that a world view? Right? It influences everything. Like I had these glasses and I can't see this page without it. When I put these on, this influences how I see things. Okay? Because sometimes I have to make up the words if I can't see them. Okay? So, these glasses affect how I see it. The word of God in meditating upon it and making it a part of your life influences how you see all of life. Even down to the most uh, mundane of things, you know, so uh, anyway, so that would be what he would advocate in this, and then he uses as an example uh, in this regards, because the book, the the title is The Practical uh, Practice of uh, Meditation and the Doctrine of Christian Thinking, so this is God's battle plan for the mind. So in the in the first section here, the importance of recovering the joyful habit of meditation, he spoke about the author spoke about Psalm one. Blessed a man, blessed is a man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, but in his law doth he meditate day and night. So internalizing and meditating upon the word of God. And uh, you know, I had a, a a very keen example of that just several weeks ago. We had a family in our community over to the house that uh, neither of them go to church, but they were both raised in the church and were somewhat, if you might say in their teenage years, early 20s, leaders in their church. And so I, I, I wasn't quite sure where they stood, so I picked Psalm chapter 1, ironically, to read that night to them. And as we read it, they both agreed how oh, that's very good, okay. But they're unmarried, they've had a child together, and all these different things. And so I thought, well, how do you read this and not apply it? Okay, and it could be many things. I've just used that example. And so, as we study meditation, uh, we're learning, you know. <clears throat> As it says here in the book, a godly person does just not occasionally snack on God's truth. Rather, the word is his heart's delight and hourly consideration. Psalm 1 beautifully demonstrates the practice of biblical meditation. What does it mean to meditate? It means to think personally, practically, seriously, and earnestly how the truth of God's word should look in this life. In other words, how should we then live, as Francis Schaeffer used with his book, how should we then live? When he meditates, the believer fills his mind with truth so that his life becomes governed by the attitude of the Savior. Have you ever thought about that? You know, when you go through an average day, you know, we come to church, so we have a, a focus on the things of God, But we should have that same attitude as we go throughout the day. Just, you know, a circumstance comes up, and do you ever ask yourself the question, "How would God want me to act in this in this situation I'm in now? What would He have me to say?" You know, so meditation gives us a way to uh, fill our our very beings and souls with the understanding of what the thoughts of the Savior would be, that we then could apply. To our heart. Sadly, in recent years, many aso- meditate with false, or, or associate meditation with false religion of the Far East. And I think there's some truth to that. I think whenever, be honest with me, if you hear, if I said to you, hey, let's go read the Bible and meditate, how many would, maybe at times, thought that was a little weird. Yeah. Myself as well. And uh, and so he submits. That's one of the things that has discussed Discourage many people because they feel like it's getting like the Eastern religion. But one of the things that's interesting if you compare biblical meditation with uh, the meditation of uh, the humanist is that, or does anybody know what would be a major difference between those two? Besides one is humanistic and the other is God. But Yes, sir.
1: I would say they are polar opposites in their focus. Mm-hmm. Eastern version of meditation emphasizes mindlessness yes. and self. Whereas the biblical version would, be, would emphasize totally having your mind on something in particular which is outside of self.
0: Exactly. That's so that's two, op-
1: two, two categories, polar opposites.
0: Polar opposites. As you said, as David said, the Eastern... Meditation—you want to rid your mind of any thoughts. You don't want to think about anything. You want to be free, uh, so to speak—not truly free, but free in the sense that the world would think. But biblical medita- meditation is where we take that word and we think about the things that we're saying, the things that we're doing, and it affects all of our life. So, anyway, that's uh, that's probably one of the reasons why they said over the last century. Uh, Meditation has defined or deteriorated to the point that it is where we don't uh, really focus on it in our lives. So the next point that we come to is, uh, and I would encourage everyone as you go through this book, if you're not, to make it a goal to try and have biblical meditation when you read things. Sometimes it's it's hard to do that. You know, we... We have a feeling like I, I, I'm guilty of myself, okay? As a good Christian, I got to do these things. I got to get up, I got to read my Bible, you know, say a prayer and then move on, okay? It's very mechanicalistic in its approach. And, and so that as we uh, go through this, if we could all maybe make it a, a goal to try and take the time to really meditate on what God is saying to us because the benefits will be... Uh, manifold to us. Now the next section here is meditation heals a believer's heart and uh, settled the mind. And it says right here, why have the past few generations of um, believers not focused on biblical meditation? And the answer he provides, he says, the primary reason is we have a a lack of confidence in God. What does he mean when he says we have a lack of confidence in God? What would that what would that mean to you if I said I have a lack of confidence in God. Right, right. We've read numerous, like uh, when Pastor James was uh, preaching on Abraham, when Sarah was upscounded by Pharaoh. You know, the whole reason Abraham was going down there was because he didn't. He didn't trust the Lord. You know, he he was trying to work it out on his own when he said, "Hey, tell her, tell Pharaoh that." you know, we're brother and sister or something like that. So, uh, yes, that is that is correct. That The fact that uh, our lack of confidence in God's Word is that we don't trust Him for His promises. What does it say in the Word of God? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so when we are in the darkest or most dire of situations, biblical meditation helps us to understand that God is working We don't see it. Okay? We don't see it. You know, and I, I use this example. This was in the book, and I'm just going to throw this in right here, but, you know, when my son Josiah had cancer ten years ago, I remember I was, I was very angry with God. I said, you know, God, He's been a good son. He's got a good job. All the worldly things, Right? On you, you know. Uh, He has a wonderful wife. Couldn't you have picked somebody else? You know, God is no respecter of persons. But I never could see. Now, I'm fortunate in the sense that God allowed me to see just a little bit. Sometimes we have things that happen in our life that we never get to see what God was doing, even though God is always at work. But I have five little grandchildren now that never would have been there had these things not happened. And so I I think, Lord, you were at work all the time. I was just so godless to not even see those things. So, So the reason why meditation settles our heart is because in our world today, as we're bombarded with all different types of enticements and anxieties... They leave us feeling stressed and inward troubled. And because we don't really, we say we know God, but we really don't know God. We don't know his power. We don't know his comfort. Uh, it becomes an escape mechanism for us. You know, and he lists several things that are escape mechanisms, entertainment, alcohol, hobbies, worldly amusing, uh, amusements, mind-numbing pop music. And, and I, I've really realized that Especially that one thing in the last couple of years, how really pop music or rock is mind-numbing. Uh, you know, people listen to it, and what do you do? You forget about what's going on around you. Your mo- your mood maybe has changed to sort of a euphoric high for a little period of time because you're not focused uh, on on God. You just want to forget everything. And what I find interesting, especially about uh, The pop music or rock music is that many times that very song that you're listening to that you say, "Oh, I really like the sound," and that's how what my excuse would be. Oh, I really like the sound of the music. I'm not listening to the words, but when I go back and I listen to the words, I realize, "Wow, these are dismal," or they're godless, you know, and and. This is what I'm feeding on. This is what I'm meditating on. You know, you don't even realize it. You think you're, you're, you're uh, turning out or turning off, you know, everything else in the world, and this is filling that. But you're being filled, filled many times with very, very godless thoughts and things to meditate. Because I've caught myself in the midst of maybe singing the words to a song, and I thought, oh, those are really not very good words that I'm reciting. So anyway, young people listen to that and don't use my same excuse. you know oh I'm not, I'm not thinking about the words I just like the tune. So um, But what does meditation do for the believer? Meditation ties people's fluttering minds because you know, unbelievers and even believers who are not meditating on the word God, Word of God, it takes their minds that are adrift and all these different things in the world, and it ties them to the spiritual anchor of stability. William Bates, who was one of the Puritans, he wrote, "There is a great inconsistency in the thoughts of men. Both, uh, but meditation doth chain and fashion them to a spiritual object." Okay. Uh, also, another, Edmund Smith commented, "Meditation will lead to a calmness of disposition, a serenity of mind." and a certainty about the ways of God. You know, I think about uh, an example here, it doesn't give it, but uh, Paul the Apostle, when he's on the ship, and the ship's going down and everything, uh, and, you know, they're, they're figuring out what they're going to do. We're dying, and Paul's very calm. Well, what resided within Paul? Paul, the Spirit of God, right? He, he, he walked with the Lord. Um, what about Jonah. Remember, now Jonah knew he was running away from God, but he knew why what was happening was happening as well. So uh, they lead to a calmness of disposition, a serenity of mind, and certainty about the ways of God. Uh, another individual said uh, he viewed meditation, and this is a pretty powerful statement to make, as uh, a godly person's greatest need. What we need more than anything else to be able to meditate on the word of god thomas watson also wrote a christian enters into meditation as a man enters into a hospital that he may be healed meditation heals the soul and the deadness and earthliness that's something we all struggle with earthliness Uh, another puritan richard sibbs said this meditation is a serious act of the spirit towards the inward Inwards of the soul, whose object is spiritual, whose affection is a provoked appetite to practice holy things, a kindling in us of the love of God and a zeal towards his truth, a healing of our benumbered hearts. So uh, thus the spirit relieves the heart by applying divine truth through meditation. So that's how we take the written word and it, it is applied as truth in our lives because the Holy Spirit makes that manifest. Thomas Hooker, another Puritan, defined meditation. I keep wanting to say meditation, meditation as a serious intention of the mind, whereby we come to search out the truth and settle it effectively, effectually upon the heart. Um, So the believer must personally ponder and imitate and apply God's word to his own depressing case. The great Puritan pastor Richard Baxter experienced many painful agonies during his sojourn here on earth. Yes, he was comforted by the habit of heavenly meditation. He was able to maintain wonderful equanimity of mind through his trials and suffering, even though they were extremely severe. Believer, the streams of God's word word heal us just as effectively today as in Baxter's time. Trust the spirit of comfort to help you as you begin to dwell on the eternal truths of grace and peace in God's Word. So we're about four minutes out. I'm going to stop since there's a natural break here, but I want, what I want to do is, anybody have any comments or thoughts you'd like to make at this time about your reading of the book or thoughts? Have you found it worthwhile? Yes, Oscar? I find it worthwhile. Anything particular? Anything particular?
2: Going back to what you expressed about music
3: like on those things as we're the older generation grew up a lot of policy music and that does, it sticks in your mind. It it
0: creates it image or a horror in your mind. Right. That's very powerful. And many times very wicked. Yeah, I mean how many <laughs> when you say music one thing I thought about how many of have heard the song by John Lennon imagine you ever listen to think about what the words are really saying in that song it's frightening and it is totally anti-God but yet I just think wow that was a great song you know okay uh, so we pray that God through meditation gives us the ability to defend ourselves against falling prey to that Anything else? Yes.
2: uh working in us by his tree, is how it works. That's why as we get conformed to Christ, our delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, we meditate. taking control of that inner law of life by the scripture so that you become Worship and discipleship and Christian life has, has just been intentionally communicated uh, as a a sort of it's always going to be anemic, and and failing and that's okay. We'll all just hold hands and assure one another that it couldn't be better than this, uh, and that's too bad. Um, so sure. and, and that.
0: Hmm. so so right before we close because it's time uh, I'd like to know any young people here that have anything because a lot of times we have the adults but any of the young people anything from what you read that uh, you were struck by okay well I hope that means you didn't read it I hope it means you just didn't have anything but anyway yes sir
1: I'm not too terribly young, but.
0: You're younger than me, so you're qualified.
1: What strikes me about this is a major theme of submission. Do we submit ourselves to God's Word and to God Himself, or do we submit ourselves to the world's design for us, and even our own flesh that would um, be so quick to so easily go to the first sin that we think we have in ourselves without something from the outside the ability to become like God. And if we think that that's, that's a natural bit of, of the heart and without something else pouring into us, that is the natural way things are going to go.
0: Yes. And yeah.
1: so, so, so we even as Christians look at the word as being underneath us. So we need, we need to submit ourselves to the word so that it is over the top of us and ministering to us. And that is a combat. It's war
0: it's it's, it's We do that in our own hearts. Yep. Well, it's funny. I said to my wife this morning, you know, they use this term about humanism that's creeping into the 21st century or the 20th century. You've probably heard it. The New Age movement. I thought I I said to her this morning, I said, I think it's really strange. Why do we say that? Because this is the old age movement. It's been the problem since day one. Men try to be like God. All right, Mr. Patterson, would you close us in prayer, please?
3: To us continually, that we would seek to read your (coughs) word and trust in you.